0: Fulfill oh, fill my cup, let it overflow. Fulfill oh, fill my cup, let it overflow. Fulfill oh, fill my cup, let it overflow. Let it overflow with love. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians here on WPSL. We're thanks, you've, th- uh, glad you've tuned in today. We're thankful for that. Hope you can stay with us for the next hour. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show and in just a moment, I'm going to give you the numbers or ways to get a hold of us today, so you can write those down and have them at your fingertips, and that's they'll be good every week that we're on the air. And uh, we are just Christians is brought to you by the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. I'm Mike Schmidt. I'm one of the I'm one of the elders here, uh, and the preacher Gary Jones. The other elder is sick this morning, so I'm kind of flying solo, and it'll be a little bit different kind of show. And so forth, and that's why I would really appreciate your input and your calls today uh, to the show. Uh, We're just Christians is about promoting the idea of being just Christians in the 21st century, and uh, trying to uh, emulate the the church we find in the Bible. And uh, that that's a difficult thing to do in some ways because our entire cultural view of Christianity is against that. We're more into denominationalism as a culture. I was reading a defense, in fact, of denominationalism this morning uh, on the internet by someone kind of higher up in one of the various denominations and considers himself non-denominational, but really was defending the idea of denominationalism or the splitting up of uh, the church of Jesus Christ into various groups. We want to get behind all of that. This isn't a matter of just being critical, and antagonistic, or negative. It's a matter of getting behind all of that and going back to the first century and being just a Christian. And I believe that there are a lot of people that want just that out of Christianity or their religion. And even if you're not religious, if you're not a believer or you're not religious, I'm really glad you're listening to this show. And I don't say that insincerely at all. I'm really glad you're listening. You can add to this show. If you want to call in uh, to disagree or to do a counterpoint of, to those uh, of belief, you know, those of us who believe, that would be fine with me. That'd be great. And I promise you we're not going to become antagonistic uh, or rude to you or mock you in any way. I, have pro- I went through a process at time as a young man of, of uh, unbelief and of doubt, and I, I came through that uh, for, in various ways. Maybe someday we can talk about that. But I certainly understand why people have doubts about God and religion in the world that we live in with so many things going on around them. I understand that. But I believe there is a path to finding the truth and finding belief in God that will be satisfying to you, not only emotionally, but intellectually satisfying to you. And so this show is not just for those who are attending some church somewhere already are religious. I want this show to be a gateway, perhaps, to people that have doubts or or people there's a lot of people that believe in God they love God but or, or and would and respect Jesus Christ but they don't have respect for what they see as religion in the world and and I can understand that completely this show is against what we would call organized religion these great vast denominations and power structures of men with their money and their prestige and their titles this show is against all of that we don't find that in the bible and so, therefore, we're going to get past that and beyond that back to something that's more basic and simple, back to a plain reading of the scriptures. That's what this show's about. And sometimes we de- delve into the, some of the errors of fellow Christians or other people who claim to be believers. We, we delve into the errors that they make. We, we do talk about cultural things here. In fact, we're going to do that maybe a little bit this morning. But let me give you the numbers to reach the show. You can reach... We are just Christians at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number here in Port St. Lucie to reach the show live today. That number's good every week because it's the call-in number for WPSL. And Ray there at the station will patch you through to us. We're do, we do the show from our church building through Skype. And so forth. So, we'd be glad to talk to you today, 340 1590. Or you can reach us by text. <clears throat> I'm just going to give you my text number today. Gary and I both have a text number, and we'll respond to text. Sometimes we can do that on the air, at least refer to them. Sometimes we have to do that later after the show or even during the week. You're free to text this number anytime. But it's 772 260 6120. 772 260 6120 are the uh, is the text number and we've already got a text or two this morning we'll see if we can get to those on by myself so it's a little more difficult to read them and and analyze them while I'm still talking but uh, we'll take we'll try to take a look at that Seven seven two two six zero sixty one twenty. 260 and if you'd like to reach us by email you can reach us by uh, sending an email to justchristiansatt.net justchristians at att.net. In fact, I, I don't ever give this out. Uh, today, this morning, when I got here to the building, there was a letter in the mailbox from a listener, Bill, who William or Bill, who called in a couple weeks ago, and um, that he had written a long letter. I only had a chance to briefly look at it, but you can you can come to the church building uh, and attend our services. Of course, we'd love to have you do that, and we meet it. 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, that's also a mailing address, 2196 Southwest Savona, S-A-V-O-N-A, Savona Boulevard, here in Port St. Lucie, 34953. So if you'd like to write a letter, you can do that, or if you'd like to attend, attend our services at 10, 11, and 6 today, and at 7.30 on Wednesday evening, you can do that, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here, in Port St. Lucie, and so uh, th- that's kind of uh, a little bit about the show. And we, we need to, uh, you know, sometimes we repeat that maybe too often. But people are new people listen all the time. I hope, and so we want to take a look at that. Well, this show uh, is we drop we come in with something to talk about. Gary and I usually do, in case no one calls. But if you call in, we are more than happy to switch our topic or discussion to whatever you call in about and we can have a discussion about. So if you want to call in, do that, and we'll shift the discussion. But we want to get to a topic here in just a moment. You can call us at 772-340-1590. You know, I ran into a couple of different things this week in my reading, and I try to read during the week, keep up with things, read in my own Bible study, preparing not only for my, um, the teaching that I have to do, but also trying to prepare myself to know about God's word in my own life, personally trying to figure out what should be going on in my own heart and my own actions. But I read different stuff and a lot of different stuff. But I, I ran into this that I want to bring up another a topic we've, that we've touched on in the past. Here's the headline. Uh, where is this from? I don't see the reference on here. I didn't, must not have printed that part out. But it says it's a news item. Judge orders popular porn site to pay $13 million for deceiving, intimidating women into performing in videos. California judge on Thursday ordered operators of a popular porn site to pay $13 million to 22 young women whom they deceived and intimidated into performing in pornographic videos. And it's a long story. I think this comes from discern.com, D I S -S 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 C R N, not spelled perfectly like discern, but it's discern.com. It's a kind of a uh Christian news site. And the reason this is an interesting story to me is because I, I, I want to tie this back to some of you who listen to this show who may watch pornography, men and women. I know that men probably percentage wise uh, are more likely to watch pornography on the internet or can delve into pornog- pornography in various forms than men are, but the the percentage of women is now into the 30s or 40% uh, rather than low numbers like we would expect. So this is both for men and women. What One of the things you you already know, most of you do, that watching pornography and and so forth is not spiritually healthy for you. I have no right to to lustfully view the bodies of a naked person, man or woman who's not my spouse. I don't have a right to do that according to the Scriptures. Jesus says when I look upon a woman to lust after her, I've committed adultery already in my heart with her, much less the actual act in Matthew five, thirty-two. So so or twenty eight through thirty two. So we see that we know that this is wrong on many levels. And it only inflames the passions that we have. So uh, we could go into talking about it. If you want to call in and talk about pornography, you want to defend it, or you want to talk about it in some other way, that's fine. We can do that. But, but I want to give you a, another reason that I think is helpful, another thing that I think is helpful to you. If you're having trouble shaking this habit, and it becomes an obsession, a habit, some would even say eventually it can become an addiction, because as you watch the pornography and act upon that in masturbation, oftentimes it, it creates a chemistry in the body and in the brain that mimics drug addiction. The same types of chemicals are released. So it isn't a surprise that physical, and of course, sexual activity in the brain does the same thing to people who are married. And that's a good thing in this case, because it tends to bind them together. It, it has a bonding influence upon them an attraction that binds two married people to each other so that they become physically one flesh, and then because of the binding, they become emotionally and spiritually one flesh, which is precisely what God says that sexuality is for. The Bible does not say that sexuality is dirty and wrong. I know that some Christians think that, and the impression has been given But I certainly don't believe that's what the Bible teaches, and you're not going to hear that here. You're not going to hear that if you come to to the church here when we talk about sexuality. Sexuality was given by God. It's good. Now, the misuse of sexuality and sexual desire is a very dangerous and destructive thing to human beings. It's kind of maybe parallel to the fact difference between a fire that's in a fireplace and a fire that's just in your living room, burning the house down. Those two things... are are, both of them are fire but one is used in its proper way or proper place the other one is just unbridled and destructive to all who are around so that's more a broad idea of what we would teach about sexuality but in this releasing of these chemicals in the brain there is this eventual addictive or at least obsessive uh, attitude created on the part of people habitual at the very least And if you're involved in that, and that's where you are in your life, and you may even struggle with this, you realize once you get involved in this, this isn't that good. I'm watching young men or young women that I don't know, and they're doing these things, and and it usually takes more and more uh, graphic or more and more, um, even sometimes even violent things to get you excited. This isn't a good thing. Very few people can promote that this is a good thing. You want to get out of that? Well, let me give you another reason besides the fact that it's wrong and it's not loving your neighbor as yourself. Peter says we should love does not work ill to its neighbor. Well, think about this. Um, this lawsuit that they were won is was the operator of this porn site recruited young women by running advertisements for clothing clothing and modeling jobs on Craigslist and elsewhere. Once a woman responded which is she's responding to his natural desire to be loved and respected and thought to be beautiful. She was told that the job was actually a pornographic video, which she could, which could earn her $5,000 or more for a single day. They were then promised that their video would never appear on the Internet, that the footage would be burned to DVDs for private collectors in Australia and New Zealand, and the site operators paid other women to pose as former performers and assure the victims that everything would be just as they were told, and the videos would never be released publicly. But once a woman agreed, she'd be flown to San Diego for the shoot, where she would be plied with alcohol and drugs before being rushed through the contract signing. And then one woman, it says, arrived in San Diego. The website crew's tactics shifted from fraud to intimidation. Women were picked up at the airport by a staffer and chaperone throughout their visit. During, the, In other words, they weren't left alone to run away. During shooting, they were alone with two or more men they didn't know Men would become agita- agitated if the women didn't cooperate, so women testified that they feared for their safety. Women testified that men stacked equipment in front of the door to prevent them from leaving the room. Most of them had flown there from out of town. They lacked the funds for a hotel or a book of flight back. They didn't want to call for help since they were, didn't want to admit why they were there in the first place, what had happened, so they just felt compelled to complete the shoot. And um, it goes on and on. About this, they eventually were released on the internet and so forth. Now, the thing about that that whole story is that is not at all unusual, from what I know about this. This is how this is operating. If you if you think that the women and men that you see in these videos that you watch on the internet or other ways, if you think they're somehow willing participants in all of this, you're, you're sadly mistaken. Many of them are not at all willing participants, they're actors and actresses under duress, they're drug addicted, they don't have any money, any means of escape, they're doing this so that they can try to find a way to escape or to satisfy what has now become a drug addiction. You by participating in this kind of pornography are facilitating this kind of activity to go on. This kind of destructiveness to these young women's lives and there's so much evidence out there of the destructiveness this has on these young men and women who have been involved in this industry, and then later get out of it because you know you only got a few years when you look good enough for these people, so you're going to get cast aside, and you're just not going to be able. To, you're, not, you're not. You're then you're going to have the damage done it, when when you watch these people, anonymous people on the internet, and especially if you pay for it, even if you're not paying for it, you're you're a, you're. A, you're clicking the internet which gives people money by advertising you are participating in the destruction of somebody's daughter somebody's often somebody's mother somebody's grandchild somebody's sister you're participating in the destruction of these people and even the young men who are involved in this these are somebody's sons that they care about these are these are people that we ought to um, have some compassion for, and not participate in this kind of activity. I think knowing that should help you when you think about your own desires and how you want to satisfy them, to to be able to find some better way to satisfy them, some way that is is spiritual, some way that will lift you up and not drag you down, some way that won't be participating in the degradation, the intimidation, even the violence against strangers that you don't know. And then the perpetuation of this industry by evil people. The people that participate in and run these sites are not good people. They are evil. They don't care at all about who they hurt and what's going on. All they care about is making money. And this is the kind of evil that eventually God will judge and punish. But don't you participate in this and, and do your part to help this industry continue it just isn't a good thing. That's why it disturbed me a couple of years ago to see when Hugh Hefner died, this outpouring of praise for Hugh Hefner. Do you realize how many lives, people, uh, lives Hugh Hefner helped to destroy and to degrade, how many people he did, and yet now he's praised as some kind of a hero for the lifestyle and the way that he lived? Why, to me, it was disgusting. And this is coming from somebody who is not anti-sex and not approved about those things. It's Come from somebody who understands where sexuality belongs and where God put it in the scriptures and where God intended for it to be in human lives, and I want to promote it within that realm and in that way among all the married couples in this church and everywhere else. But I don't want to be destructive like a fire gone wild and raging out here, destroying other people. Maybe you'd like to comment about this. Maybe, maybe there's a different viewpoint. Maybe I've got it wrong. And um, we need to think about that. So, if so, give me a call seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety. Name is Mike. And this show is we are just Christians. We'd be glad to hear from you. Hope our I hope Gary's be able to be back with us soon. He was under the weather this morning. We got a text this morning from John about a couple of things, but one of them says uh, comparison for porn. A person watches every James Bond and spy movie and decides to become an agent. When they actually get hired by the CIA, it's nothing like the movies. The same with porn. Real life is not like the movies. Yes. And, and that brings up another whole uh, thing about this, uh, John. I, I do marriage counseling, and it's free, so you get what you pay for. But I've done marriage counseling with people for uh, many, many years and help try to help people with their marriages and, and other, even single relationships. P- pornography is destructive to marriage. If you're a young man or young woman and you think that sex in marriage or sex with someone that you love is like it's going to be in what you've seen on the Internet in pornography. And, you know, young people start watching pornography today when they're about 8 or 9 or 10 years old, men, boys, and girls. And so they they think that normal married sex is about violence and being a contortionist and uh, power and all that kind of stuff, degrading uh, activities. Uh, they, they think that's what it's about. It's about fear and intimidation and power and struggles. Married sex, according to the Bible, is not, not about any of those things. It's about mutuality and affection and love and respect. And, and that's more what it's about. But, but, they, but young people go into marriage today and even into dating relationships in junior high school and high school thinking that sex is about what they've seen on the internet. And it's nothing like that at all. And then they get into marriage and it's disappointing. You know, having a, pornography is about satisfying yourself. And it's easier to satisfy yourself than it is to interact with a real person. But sexuality in the Bible is about interacting with another real person, not just about yourself. You find pleasure in, in interacting with another person and satisfying them. It's a mutuality. That takes time to develop, and that, take, that brings about a deeper relationship than you can ever have by watching a porn video or by even imitating a porn video uh, in your own life. Because there's no mutuality. It's all fantasy. It's set up so that it plays to the fantasy of uh, of the woman or the man involved in it and, and rather than being something that's about another real person. And so there's this disappointment. There's this destructiveness. The one who fails to meet the standard of the person who's been watching porn feels like a failure. The, the, the one who's been watching porn and finds out that it's not like that in real life and is the wife or husband... You know, can't perform like an acrobat and doesn't want to do those things because they want a mutual affection. They're disappointed and sometimes angry, and it's destructive to the marriage. But it takes time in marriage and a, a learn a learning process to learn the other person and to learn about yourself and to satisfy more than yourself about this. And that's one of the that's the difficulty of. Uh, marriage sex versus pornography so don't be deceived by this at all i'm gonna go in maybe a little more detail in a moment i think gary's on the line. are you there gary yeah i'm here go ahead uh i just w- i just wanted to point out mike that um you might want to turn to first corinthians 7 and verses probably one through about five yeah because- i was thinking about that i'm glad you reminded me because i got tied up talking yeah. and didn't look it up here uh, yes, Paul, so, you know, this, make your comment this I'll read the scripture. Things. Go ahead. Okay, this is probably at the root of those things. One of the real problems with marriage and sex is basically we need, each partner needs to be satisfied within that relationship. And when that doesn't happen, it drives them to some other solution. Right. That's my point. And both partners have a responsibility to to grow in that relationship. Sure. military are really subject to this because you're separated from your family life. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I'm glad you reminded me because I got tied up talking and didn't look it up here. Uh, Yes, Paul, Paul, make your comment, then I'll read the scripture. Go ahead. And both partners have a responsibility to, to grow in that relationship. Right. Yes, I, I, and that, that we can talk about the problems of being uh, sexually chaste in marriage and out of marriage when you don't have a partner. That's another issue. And I know that's, I know that's where pornography gets its root hold in people but let me tell you something and you know this Gary I'm sure that people often think young men and women think well I know I'm involved in pornography now but when I get married that'll all change it doesn't it may disappear briefly but since you've learned how to quote unquote have sex by yourself with fantasy now that you're dealing with a real person you've got to actually grow and learn and you've got to react to the other person and so it's much easier just to quote unquote have sex with yourself with pornography and with a fantasy with some non with some imaginary person you're looking at on a screen and so the challenge of marriage is getting out of that shell into a real life situation with another person because love is about the other person and it so it's easy for married couples in a short while to retreat both back to their own individual lives or individual sexuality. And for many people, that turns out to be pornography. But Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7, the patches Gary was referring to. Now concerning the things which of which you wrote to me, he, the Corinthians said, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. That was their statement. Uh, I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I think that's what the Corinthians were saying. They were saying, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, he says, in spite of what you say, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Everybody gets one to one. And you're, you're to focus on that mate rather than on other people to satisfy your sexual desire. Then he goes on to say in verse 3, Let the husband render to the, to the wife his, the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to the husband. Let me read that again. Let the husband render to the, his wife the affection that is owed or due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and the, likewise the husband does not have power or authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and to prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, this passage teaches many things and it's, it's surprising to a lot of people who think that what the Bible says about sex is don't do it, and sex is bad. Just ha- And the Catholic Church taught for centuries that sex was just about procreation, just having a baby, and so when you didn't want to have a baby, you shouldn't be having sex, and all of that kind of stuff. That's not what this passage says. The Bible doesn't teach those things. The Bible teaches that sex is good. It was created by God, and each man has to have his own wife, each woman have her own husband, and they are to engage in regular uninterrupted sexual relations. That's why it says don't deprive one another except with consent, by mutual consent, for a time or a short time to give yourselves to prayer and fasting and that you may come together again so that you don't let this interruption of sexual activity last very long and then you come together again sexually so that you aren't tempted because of your lack of self-control. So this is What marriage sex should be like in a Christian marriage, really in all marriages, it should should be uninterrupted, continual sexual relations between the two. Now what that does, that forces two people who may have differences and may be at odds. It's difficult to have relations with someone who you're at odds with or who you don't feel close to, emotionally difficult. It forces you to work out your problems and try to find some mutual area of love. It's easier, though, when you have difficulties to retreat to pornography and masturbation in marriage for both partners because that doesn't take any any understanding of a mate. It, does, it can be done in secret or even can be done with consent of the other, but that's not what the Bible says to do. The Bible says you're to be together uninterrupted and you're to work out your difficulties and so forth. And it says here that the husband renders to the wife the affection that's due her. This is the only obligation almost a Christian is said to have toward another person. It's a debt he owes to his wife, and the wife owes this debt to her husband, or this uh, this uh, affection to her husband. It's interesting to me, Gary, if you're still on the line, that the wife's affection is considered first in this verse. Some people think the Bible is just an awful patriarchal book that doesn't respect women. In this verse about sexuality. There is a great mutuality of taught here, and the husband is, it mentions her sexual desire being satisfied first, and he doesn't have power over her body, but I mean uh, over his own body only. Let me read it again. The wife doesn't have power over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So each one essentially owns the body of the other for their own pleasure and satisfaction, and they're to mutually satisfy one another. There is no hierarchy in sexual relations in the marriage where the husband gets to have what he wants because he's the head of the family or the house and the wife is left unsatisfied or not her, her desires are not taken into consideration. Now, when you practice that over a period of time and think about what that means, let that sink in, it will change the way that you have sex. It will change the meaning of it. It will bring you closer together so that both can be mutually satisfied. This is what the Bible teaches about sexual relations. But all, what 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 pornography is is the escape hatch from this. It's the way you escape from doing the hard work in marriage, you see, and so forth. Gary, are you still there? I don't guess uh, he hung up. He hung up. Okay, I see that now. You wrote it to me. Thank you, Ray. Uh, He hung up. Okay, I I didn't think I heard him on the line there, but I appreciate him giving me that reference and and also pointing out the difficulty of these things within marriage. And I can tell you this from doing marriage counseling. uh, A lot of marriage problems can be traced back to this uh, lack of sexual understanding because sex isn't just something that you do. I don't care if you're single or married. I don't care if you're young or old. Sex is, according to the bible it 's integrated at the very core of every human being on one way or another. This is why it causes so many problems for people because it 's right at our very core uh, of who we are and and we need to keep we need to understand that and recognize it 's not a side issue it 's a central issue for people now just learning to have what we would call, quote-unquote, good sex. That won't fix your marriage problems if there's not any mutuality and respect. But it will force you to begin to have those things, and it can add to those things. And it's what the Bible would initially say, that Adam knew his wife Eve and, and so forth, and they conceived a child. He had already told them before that that a man would leave his father and mother and, be, and cleave unto his wife in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. And they would become one flesh, physically one flesh. You know, when you look at the anatomy of human beings, what the Bible's referring to there is very simple, that the male anatomy and the female anatomy are paired up. They're, they, they're meant to fit together on purpose because God intended for them to be one flesh in the marriage relationship. It's not an accident that things are like that, of not an action of evolution. The Bible says God designed it that way. And we're to respect not only the physical union, but also then more deeply the becoming of one flesh uh, spiritually that this brings about. Because he says in Ephesians 5 that in the the right kind of marriage, it becomes an example of Christ and the church, of the bride and the bridegroom uh, in the church. Now, uh, another text said, I suspect someone came uh, behind Paul like usual teaching something different about celibacy. And Paul had to correct them, and that's probably right. Well, the the Greeks in the city of Corinth, Corinth was a terribly wicked and uh, disgusting place sexually before Christianity came along. And there was a temple there to one of the goddesses in Corinth where a 1,000 prostitutes, male and female, were at that temple. And the Greeks' men went there to uh, worship the goddess by having relations with these priests and priestesses in this temple. And this is the culture, and this is where some of these Christians, he says, Paul even tells them in chapter 6, and such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been cleansed. Now, these people are scarred, and they've had difficulties. They've become Christians. And some people, when they're scarred sexually, retreat from all sexuality and turn against sex and become celibate and anti-sexual. Others become uh, promiscuous in the face of being hurt. Sexuality. We see young men and women who have been sexually abused, and what I see in counseling them is that they kind of come in two camps, and sometimes they flip from one to the other of either being anti sexual or completely uh, over sexual in the sense that they are promiscuous and they can go back and forth. They bring this into their marriages. Neither one will work in marriage because it's about mutuality. And so if you're if you are in the position in life where you are disgusted by anything sexual and want nothing to do with sex, then I'd advise you not to get married because marriage is about sexual relations, among many other things. It's primary, It's a, one of the primary things about marriage is the sexual union, and you're going to be doing your mate a great disservice. You need to find out about that. You need to fix that problem because it can be fixed with the love of Christ and with, with a proper teaching, understanding. It may not be easy, but it can be fixed. And then others think that... Marriage is only about sex and sexuality. That my existence is, and so they go the other extreme. But pornography is not the answer. It's not going to fix your problem. I don't even think that pornography is the solution for young men and women who are single, not married, maybe teenagers, or young married, young unmarried people uh, having sex in front of a screen is not going to prepare you to have sex in marriage and have a lasting, fulfilling relationship with another person. Because it's all about doing it in secret, it's all about doing it quickly, it's all about satisfying yourself, and a couple of other things, and none of those things will work in marriage. So you can set your brain up to only be used to being able to perform sexually if it's kind of a secretive or naughty thing, if it has to be done quickly, if it's done with a stranger, if it's done in some exotic way, some acrobatic way or exotic way, and you can learn to develop certain fetishes that you can only be satisfied if you see this or if they're doing this and so forth. Those things are not going to set you up to find a fulfilling life in marriage with another person. Even if you do get married, And you bring that into your marriage, you're going to have to defeat it. You're going to have to 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 overcome that before you can ever have a satisfying relationship in marriage. Because none of those things speak to biblical marriage. Biblical um, biblical sex is not about violence. It's not about power and authority. It's not about control. It's not it's not about being dominated by anybody. None of those things are about what the, how the Bible pictures sex. The Song of Solomon is a book about sexual relationships. It has allegorical meanings, perhaps, but it's fundamentally a book describing uh, the love between a man and a woman. And in that book, sex is pictured in many different uh, ways, described poetically. None of them involve domination and violence and Fifty Shades of Grey. Okay, so So that's the problem with all of that. They don't involve a bunch of a bunch of exotic fetishes. Now, everybody has their own tastes, and in marriage you have a great deal of freedom in the marriage bed. But, but you need to understand that uh, this is about learning to love another person and turning your desire toward them. That's the biggest thing to bring about sexual satisfaction in marriage is for you as a husband or wife, to always turn your attention at all times to your mate. Love them. Not just love somebody. Not just love yourself, but to love your mate. And so even whenever sexual desire springs up in your body and in your mind, you're out somewhere, you're doing something else. When that happens to you, which happens for physiological or emotional reasons for people, I don't think that's wrong. Jesus doesn't say that having sexual desire is wrong. He says lusting, acting upon that desire with a woman who is not your mate, or looking to lust to undress them and have sex with them by looking at them, that's wrong. But when, you, when sexual desire springs up, you turn your attention to your mate. That's what happens in married sex. Now those years you and I'm just going to warn young people who are single, I just want to warn you about pornography. Pornography will not help you in later in life to have a happy marriage. In fact, you think, well, I'm going to drop this once I get married. I can stop this. Oh, no. won't happen that way because you've trained your body and your mind to respond only to sex in a certain way. And you'll be able to work around a little bit for a little while. But then when the difficulties of marriage come in and living with another person... It's much harder to do that and takes more time and effort emotionally and every other way to do that. And so you'll revert right back to pornography as a way to, to get this job done quickly and easily and painlessly. Happens all the time. Well, I appreciate your listening to my little diatribe on this uh, this morning from the news. But I thought when I read that news article Uh, about this porn site being sued. I said, yeah, this is what people need to understand about these porn sites. You know, I I listen to sports radio from a Miami radio. I'm a Miami Dolphins fan. I'm sorry to say, I have to confess this. But I've been a Miami Dolphins fan since the late 60s, early 70s, even when when they were good and so forth. So I I have a right. I I just can't give it up. So I listen to the Miami station that carries the Dolphins sometimes. And they're always advertising these uh, strip clubs down there. They call them gentlemen's clubs and things like I don't know many gentlemen that are participating in this, but that's what they call them. And they'll say, we have 150 of the sexiest dancers in Miami or in Broward County at this club. Or we have 300 uh, girls for you to look at down here. And, you know, that's they're, they're bragging about that. And I'm driving along, and it just hurts me so bad. It just hurts my heart to think of 150 young women who have been often misled into this lifestyle, who may like it for a while, but who are scarring their body and especially scarring their soul and their emotions. And if they do recover from this shame, it's going to take a lot of pain and they're going to have to cover up a lot of scars. And then the men that go in there and leer at these sisters and, and daughters of other people, they have no right to look at and to treat this way and think they're doing some great manly thing. I don't get angry about it so much as I just get hurt. I get I get sad thinking of the hundreds of young women's lives. And you know what I also see and know from being a minister? I know that those young men and women are participating in these things, particularly young women and also the young men, they're going to come to me later when they do get married and when they are having children and when their children are growing up and having difficulties and they're still carrying the scars and the hurt from that time. And sometimes they don't even know where it came from. They're having to overcome this problem and they're having trouble with their children or, uh, and they're concerned about their, their husband and they've married the kind of man who they think they can appease him with their body. And it's never enough. It's never going to be enough because they've been deceived into this lifestyle when they were young. And they're going to carry those scars way into their adulthood, and I'm going to have to help them deal with difficulties and problems to overcome uh, later in life. And, and that's, the sa- that's why it makes me sad, because it isn't just about you feeling better today or you getting a thrill from seeing someone do this or that. These have intergenerational consequences, these things do. And it's something that as Christians we must oppose. Mostly we must try to, with compassion, teach against this and show people, number one, not to get involved in it. Number two, if you are involved in it, how to overcome it and then to live a good life like the gospel tells you to so you can have the joy that Paul wants you to have, the, excuse me, that Christ wants you to have, and that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians. All right, thank you for listening to that long rant perhaps there's something if you'd like to say more about that give me a call 772-340-1590 772-340-1590 is the number and uh, you can reach us here on WPSL thanks Gary thanks to Gary for calling in and to John for texting if you want to text us you can reach the reach me by text this morning and all during the week 772-260-6120 772-260 Six one two zero. I I I know I, I call it a rant, but I I guess I do have a lot of passion about this subject because sexuality ha- has always been a struggle for me personally. I know so many people that it's a struggle for, and have tried to help them. Some successfully, some not. I deal with people with marriage problems. They're they're looking at all different ways to fix their marriage and other problems they're having. And something that goes right back to this kind of thing, and so we have to deal with that. I think we have another caller. Are you there, John? Hey, I'm here, Mike. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Fine. Good show today. I just a little side note. I just wanted to mention that uh, a lot of things Paul wrote seems confusing, but if you keep in mind that from John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven is near, Jesus is dead, right? stopped, passed away, that the mentality was that the end's coming any time soon you know right around the corner and you shouldn't be worrying about a lot of these things because it's a waste of time and if you keep that in mind it to me it makes sense for a lot of things paul wrote about marriage and things like that like why bother well Um, yes and there there, i'll hang up i just wanted to throw that in there that if you keep that in mind a lot of things paul wrote makes more sense you think everybody thought it was right around the corner well that's true and there were some other factors involved in that too uh one of them is we we don't really have as much understanding of this Greek culture that Paul had to deal with, and he was going into it as a very orthodox Jew. But but they they were they had a completely different view of sexuality than the Hebrews did. In the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew world, and among the the Jews that were following God's law, uh, sexuality was a very common thing, and it was a known thing, and there was no prohibition against sexual desire. And, and they, they had a very positive view of sex within marriage and, and so forth in the Hebrew culture, and still do oftentimes today. It wasn't a dirty thing to them that they understood that there were prohibitions against adultery and fornication and things like that. But among the Greeks who had left, and the reason they could do, see that is because they saw this connection between the spiritual and the physical in a different way than the Gentiles ever could. And they didn't have the law of God. The Old Testament gave them a law which regulated these specific relationships very carefully. Now then, when you come to the Gentile world where Paul was going out preaching the gospel like in a book like 1 Corinthians, this church at Corinth, these people had been, basically the Bible says they had God had let them walk in their own way. They were out just kind of doing whatever they, they wanted to uh, do. And, and they couldn't... Uh, they didn't know how to navigate it at all. They were, they were destroyed. The, the most, the, the he, uh, I'm trying what I'm trying to say here. I'm thinking about three different things at once. Uh, a lot of Greek poetry, the great Greek poets were writing all these love poems. What we don't realize today, because it's been kind of sanitized for us, is that they were written to young boys. Uh, uh, one historian wrote that of all the Caesars, only one, I think it was Augustus had entirely proper sexual taste. The rest were involved not only with their wives have babies, but they had several concubines and wives. But they also were mostly involved with young men. Okay, and pederasty—it's a common it was a common thing in the ancient world. This kind of uh, uh, fornication and homosexual desire—we uh, would we would call it pedophilia and so here they become a christian and they're trying to live what the, the well one other uh bible scholar he he wrote a book on bible words uh and uh, wrote wrote a book on the uh christian graces and so forth he said that the one new virtue that christianity introduced into the world was chastity the idea of remaining f- Pure and faithful to one mate in, during your lifetime, and having self-control over your sexual urges to only use it properly. This is the one new thing they introduced, and it was uh, people—they were mocked for it. But the Corinthians in this letter he wrote here, they were bringing all these ideas from of that sexuality into the, with they brought them with them into their Christian life. And what had happened, John, is you had a couple. Once again, you had the two reactions. Some people say it's just the body. The body doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want to with your body. You know? uh, and that's why they would say, all things are lawful for me in 1 Corinthians 6. All things are lawful for me. There's nothing you can do that's wrong. Paul said, yes, but all things are not expedient. Uh, other times they say, oh, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. The other extreme was, nope, you shouldn't have sex at all. Sex is dirty. Uh, sex is not spiritual. And so they, they went the other direction. And there's a lot of Christians today, and you'd be surprised how many uh, Christian women that I've met in my lifetime and read about, too, who believe that sexuality is just physical, and they're trying to keep their husband from having sex with them because they want their husband to be a more spiritual person. And as long as he has these physical, fleshy desires, he's not a spiritual person. This idea didn't come from Christianity. That came from Greek, the Greeks the ones that Paul was teaching against in the book of 1 Corinthians. This is why when we were talking with our caller a couple weeks ago, Bill, I was trying to distinguish properly what flesh and spirit were. The flesh is not just the body or any physical desire like hunger or sexual desire or thirst. The flesh, the Bible's talking about in the New Testament, is having what you want and doing what you want at all costs. It is satisfying only your own desires and wants of all kinds. Because in the sins of the flesh are not just physical sins, but spiritual sins like, like greed and things like that, that that are talked about. So the flesh in the New Testament is crucifying self-will, your own self-will to have what you want at all costs. It's not about you having sexual desire and that being a bad thing. And so some of the things Paul says, he's quoting the Corinthian statement. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. He's not saying that. If you read the context, he's saying they're saying that and he says nevertheless, in spite of what you're saying, this is what God says about that. And so, uh, John is correct. I don't know if I'm I probably missing his point, but John is correct that when you read these statements, you have to realize the underlying background. Now, if you think we live in a world today that is gone mad sexually, uh, you probably should have been around the city of Corinth uh, in in Greece. Even among the Greeks, Corinth was known to be a debauched and debased city, uh, and a, and a city of a bunch of drunkards and alcoholics. In fact, when the Corinth, when the, as I mentioned before, probably in this show, in Greek theater, when they when they wanted to show a Corinthian, they, they, he was always drunk and lecherous. And to Corinthicize something was to debase it. That's how bad this city was. So Paul is trying to correct this. And we have the same process at work today in the world. And both religious and secular people have bought into this on either side of this, this equation. None seem to be able to, to go where the Bible says that sex itself is not wrong Taking the fire out of the fireplace can burn down the house, though, and you have to understand that. So keep the fire in the fireplace and and fan that fire, the Bible says. Don't let it go out. Fan the fire in the fireplace. Keep it going, but keep it in the fireplace and learn to control the fire everywhere else. See, this is what the Bible is saying, not anti-sex. The Catholic Church for centuries has taught things that are anti-sexual to people, and a lot of the hang-ups that people have, Today about sex, I find are are coming from from former Catholics, because like it or not, this is the message people got that sex is bad. It's just for procreation. Well, that doesn't that's not what the Bible teaches. That doesn't fit with what we are, and so we need to understand that. By the way, you know, um, I want to mention something. I, we talk about this, but I just kind of come to mind because we got a text about this. Gary Jones texted me back. And he says I hung up because talking with the sound delay is almost impossible. And so forth, and I think that's true. I know that we had trouble, have had trouble at times, and I want to apologize to those who do call in, like Gary and here and John called in some moment ago. I think we're having the same problem: is that Gary and I sitting here in these chairs? We think you've stopped talking, because as soon as you, there's a gap there, and we start to talk, and you're still talking, and so it sounds like we're trying to talk over you, or The other way happens with callers. They keep, they're talking over us. We can't always tell that because of the way the system works, but that's a problem on this show. We're trying to fix that, but I beg your indulgence. We are not at all trying to cut you off or talk over you or ignore you. It's just sometimes, so be patient with us when you call in. And we're going to try to pause a little bit. If you're listening to the show, it may sound like we're pausing too long, but we're trying to make sure, if I can get into the habit of this, we're trying to pause a little longer to let people talk. Um, that's um, that's part of our problem. And, of course, then you got the problem of, uh, yeah, there's a 10-second delay. Uh, I just got a note from the station. There's a 10-second delay. So uh, that can cause a lot of difficulties the way we're doing the show. So we'll try to be more cognizant of that as we go along. You be patient with us if you 're listening to the show or if you call in, but we have no intention of talking over the top of you. We want I want you to say what you got to say, so just hang in there and if you've got to repeat yourself or say i didn't i don't think we heard that go right ahead and do that, and we'll work through this together but now that i got now that Gary's at home listening, he heard the same thing, had the same problem that some of our callers have had, so we'll try to work uh we'll try to work with that yeah don was mentioning the fact that part of the problem of interpreting this is that uh, paul thinks the end time is near well i don't know what he personally thought i think i think that you could read some of his writings as saying that but i think in the book of second thessalonians he corrects that idea right away clearly he says well you all may have thought i was telling you that the world was going to end right away but uh it it isn't going to end right away, and because these things have to happen first, and we can talk about second second Thessalonians uh, chapter one, some other time but um, that that always is a factor. people were misunderstanding things the apostles were saying, and so some of the things written in these books are that now uh, uh, John just texted in and said, "What do you think about verse six i'm not sure which verse you're talking about." whether it's verse 6, oh, it must be 1 Corinthians 7, verse 6. Paul says, but this I say as a concession, not as a commandment. I think what he's trying to say to them is there in that verse about sexuality. He's not saying uh, it's a concession, so it doesn't really matter whether you, whether you deprive one another or not. He's not undoing all the things he said. He's pointing out to them that this this is a this i this, con, this is a concession you're going to have to make this work with how how you're living and your background so i'll give it to you this way when i deal with a couple say they come to me and they're having major problems and i'll just use it isn't always this way but i'll set up this scenario it isn't always this way but let's say that they they've been married for a while and we, all of a sudden the wife has stopped desiring to have sexual relations at all in fact, she may be be refusing her husband. They either, they either have sex so infrequently that it's a real problem for him. It's caused contention, or they just, she just says no more. Sex is bad. Sex is evil. Whatever. And so they they come to me. <clears throat> well, I've got to read the scripture to them, but I also have to caution them that in working out their own individual problems, they have to take into consideration and make concession for the fact that this, this person who is, feels this way has often been scarred by sexual abuse, maybe from the time she was a little girl. And so she's associated sexuality with being hurt and abused, and she needs some patience and some, and some love and some time from her husband to overcome that. But she has to understand that these scriptures mean what they mean, and she's never going to be satisfied and happy and, and have a good marriage until she does overcome some of those problems but he's going to have to, to make a concession to her and understand that you can't fix this just overnight. And I'm not just trying to say, well, I'm ordering you to have sex, therefore you've got to have sex. That, that very seldom is going to work. Yes, it's a commandment of God that you ought to have sexual relations in marriage regularly without interruption. But, but there have to be concession made in that to the needs of each person, to the circumstances of each person in that marriage so that there can be mutuality. Now that's how I understand him saying, "I'm not saying this is you just force your wife or husband to have sex so that it's a commandment." He's saying it is. It is what God desires. It is a commandment. It's what's right or wrong, but you need to make concession for them. So that's kind of where I'm coming from on that. Uh, I don't know if we have time to to do that some more, but uh, <clears throat> this is um, this is an important topic, and I I think that often. We don't hear it talked about in churches or things like that. Well, you probably heard me say a couple words on the radio today that you're, I don't don't know whether they deleted them or not on the air, but uh, words like masturbation and things like that. I have have no problem talking about that because it's a real human problem. And I think it has to be dealt with on a realistic basis by people that are trying to teach the Bible and especially teach uh, people how to live consistent with the Bible in matters of sexuality or any other matter that we deal with really where people are. And, um, you know, I, I can give you I can do a whole radio show on that subject if you want me, if somebody wants me to, or talk with you about it privately if you would like me to. Uh, I have some, uh, what I've come to conclusion about those things. But uh, there should be no shame in talking about these things if we're not talking about them in a shameful way. Now, there's a snickering seventh grade way to talk about these things that often I hear on the radio or other people do that's, that's not right. But, we, you know, when God, when there was a marriage ceremony in the Old Testament, uh, the Jews, the night after the wedding, the morning after, they would hang up the bed sheets on a line out by the tent so that all could see that that a sex took place and that the wife was a virgin, her high moon broke, and so forth. There was no shame in that. That's what's expected. You don't need to be ashamed that in marriage you're you're having sexual relations, you ought to be. You don't need to be ashamed as a young person that you have sexual desire, even when you're, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. That's pretty normal, I would be worried, if you didn't have sexual desire as a teenager or as a young adult. But there's nothing to be ashamed about per se. The only thing to be ashamed about is, what are you doing about that? How How are you handling yourself? Do you respect the opposite sex? Or do you think, as some boys think, that, I have a right to ogle and to stare at and to have girls send me naked pictures of themselves to me. I've got to expect that. Or I got to, if, if, I'm going, if I say I like a girl in junior high or high school, I expect her to perform oral sex on me because that's my right because she's a girl. I've seen that in pornography, so that's the way sex is. I'm a real man when I do that. None of those ideas are right. That's all destructive and wrong and immoral and for girls to participate in this by flaunting their bodies sexuality flaunting their sexuality and sending naked selfies and uh, all that kind of stuff and engaging in these immoral activities it's no no more right for them than it is for the boy so I'm not saying that because I'm some kind of prude. I'm saying that because that's what it's destructive to young people. It will never help you to have a happy marriage and a satisfying life. I know that from experience and from observation. You will not get where most of you want to go as a young person in your life. I I really wish all of you could be where I am. I've been married now for 45 years to the same woman. We've had our our share of struggles, and to this very day, even last night we got into a little. I wouldn't call it argument by most people's standard, but we had a disagreement last night about something, and you know, but I wish you were where I was. You have someone who loves you that you know loves you, and you love them, and you you're dedicated to them. So I want you to think about those things. Well, our time is gone today. We really appreciate it. Hope that you'll tune in again next week to We Are Just Christians. We invite you to take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. dot Hope you'll take a look at that, and if you if you'd like to get a hold of us, please do at wearejustchristians.com. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week, and may God bless you.